You're listening to the Jerry and Jacoby podcast, Success Without Sacrifice, a podcast by two entrepreneurs at different stages of life, sharing real life experiences, managing a successful business and family life. It's honest talk about lessons learned, balancing family, faith, business, and personal growth on the journey of making our dreams a reality. Now, here are your hosts, Jerry and Jacoby. All right, everybody, what is going on? So we are back here with another interview. We got something real special. I've been excited to talk to this guy for a little while. And so uh, me and Jerry are excited to bring on your boy, Eric Anders. Uh, And actually, it's his birthday today. So even excited as well for him to be coming on the podcast on his birthday, blessing us uh, with a little bit of info here. So uh, definitely a happy birthday. Yeah, definitely a happy birthday. Yeah, so uh, just a little bit on Eric. He is uh, currently fighting in the UFC. Uh, He went to school at Alabama, played football at Alabama. He is the son of um, military veterans as well. And uh, he's got some some brothers that he grew up with, brothers and a sister. And uh, he's just all-around good guy, right? And so I'm excited to speak with him, talk about mindset, where he's at, how he got to where he's currently at right now and uh kind of what he's got going on so uh with that do you have uh any other things we should know about you before we uh get this started on the introduction there eric and that's about it national champion at alabama you know <laughs> but uh other than that man yeah that's it hit the nail on the head Awesome, man. Yeah, sorry I left that national champion out on there. <laughs> Everybody knows you for that, man. You had an awesome uh, uh, awesome play in there that kind of turned the tide of that game and uh, really gave you guys some momentum. So we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But kind of how we always start off, right? So the name of the podcast is Success Without Sacrifice. And every guest we bring on here, we just kind of ask them, when you hear Success Without Sacrifice, What's kind of the first thing that comes to mind for you? What do you think of whenever you hear that? Man, for me, that's, that's like kind of the end, you know, as a, kind of we've reached the pinnacle of whatever it is to try and be successful in, whether it's, you know, business or your job for me fighting. For me, I have to sacrifice a lot, but I haven't made it yet. You know, I come out to Arizona to do these camps. I got a wife and two kids back home. So, you know, I go eight weeks without seeing them sometimes, but you know, when I go out there and I perform and I maximize my ability and I get better and I go out there and win fights, you know, it's validation for all that time that I've missed. And then, you know, I'll come home for a month or two and then it's right back to training camp for to get ready for another fight. So man, I'm literally gone half the year, but I always hear the, like the mantra, how bad do you want to be successful? Well, at, at this point, you know, I'm willing to sacrifice time away from the, from the wife and kids and, you know, be away from them because this window is so short, you know, your athletic window and to perform at the highest level is so short that when it's over with, man, they're going to be tired of me because I'm going to be at the house all the time. You know what I mean? So right now I'm kind of in, in that working phase, if you will, you know, and then once I do all the sacrificing all the time away and I've invested all my money and now I'm living off my investment then I don't have to sacrifice anything anymore. You know, I could just wake up, you know, take them to school, you know, go to all their practices, all their games, and, you know, really kind of make up for lost time. 
Yeah, man, that's absolutely awesome. So kind of the thing I'm hearing there is uh, you're kind of beginning with the end in mind. That comes up like a lot in uh, whenever we talk to folks. And so uh, you're sacrificing for something that you see is going to uh, help your family here here in the long haul, it sounds like. So that's that's absolutely awesome. Yeah, you know, I, I always, you know, think of the end game, long game. You know, what do I want to do or where do I want to be when I'm done with all this fighting stuff? Am I just enjoying the time? I blow all my money and, you know, then I'm right back to personal training and doing things like that. Or do I do all this, sacrifice, go out there, fight, save my money, invest my money, and then, you know, I have options. If I want to be a stay-at-home dad, I can be a stay-at-home dad. If I want to open up another business and start something else, I can start something else, but I'll have options, you know. And I can, I can tell you right now, man, the way I, the way I, uh, all this work and stuff that I put in, man, when it's over with, man, I think I'm just going to try and do the stay-at-home dad thing. So that, that's my end game. So uh, all the stuff in between, you know, it's just, you know, nothing but work. That's awesome. Now, I'd like to even just go back in time with you in – like if I look at you and, and for me, I've been a UFC fan, but I'm, you know, I'm the fan. And so like, I'm a little fanboy right now, a little bit. Cause since I've known Jacoby, I've been tracking you and really rooting for you. And you've been a, I mean, you've been a blast to watch fight. I really have enjoyed it. But now, so you're in the UFC and you played at Alabama. So you've been kind of at the top of both of your sports now, how did that start? Like, what what was your transition maybe, you know, from high school to Alabama? Like, how did you end up at Alabama? Uh, typically, there's a story behind all this stuff, and I'd love for you to kind of touch on that a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's actually, uh, you know, a pretty crazy story. Um, man, no one's really told me how the recruiting process worked. I thought, like, you know, you play your senior year, then you get recruited, but after I got done playing ball and I started like researching because no one told me like no one from my high school was like highly recruited or anything like that. So yeah. where are you I from? I didn't know. Yeah. Where are you from? Uh, San, San Antonio. Okay. Texas. So I had no idea how the recruiting process worked. And so after I got done playing my senior year, I had zero offers and I thought that that's when the recruiting started that you have, you know, between December and February to, you know, find a scholarship or get a scholarship or science scholarship or whatever. Little did I know that these kids are getting recruited after the, like their freshman and sophomore year and they're already committed by their junior year. So I, th- I thought it was just like the top, the nation's top, the cream of the crop that was, you know, signing as a junior and, you know, already committed as a junior and stuff. So dude, I, uh, I got done after my senior year, man, I made my own highlight tape. I sat there for hours on, on weekends uh, and sent <laughs> and sent my highlight tape to all 125 FBS schools. Like I made 125 copies of this tape uh, and looked up all the addresses to the athletic department. And you know, I just I, I wasted all that time. That's not how it works. <laughs> and um, I think Memphis was the first one uh, to make an offer, and I was like, cool. You know, whatever. D1 is D1. Then Texas Tech came, and I was like, all right. The Big 12 is better than Conference USA. Word. Then Ole Miss came, and I really wasn't a fan of Mississippi. You know, they're the Rebels. Their fight song used to end with, the South shall rise again. And I was just, uh, I wasn't feeling that. But I was like, it's the SEC, so I'll rock with it. And then how I got to Alabama was, 
my one of my assistant coaches was college roommates with the offensive line coach at the time. And every summer they have these camps where, you know, high school kids come and kind of run a combine, do seven on seven and stuff. And they went out to eat or whatever. And he like gave him my highlight tape, uh, put it in his hand. And uh, he was like, man, this guy's a hard worker. He's a good kid. He's not going to cause you any trouble. And worst case scenario, he'll be a great special teams player for you. All right. And then, my kid didn't qualify academically so at the last minute two weeks before camp started a scholarship opens up and uh i was actually in hawaii at my brother's wedding my oldest brother's wedding and uh you know i usually don't answer numbers i don't know but for some reason i picked up the phone and it was mike shula and i didn't even know who mike shula was yeah (laughs) he was like hey it's mike shula the head football coach at alabama so i was like oh hey what's going on coach and you know he told me to come on a visit I came on my visit and uh, signed my scholarship that very same day. So, or when I, you know, I, I signed my scholarship on my visit, went home, and then like two weeks later on a Monday, my mom dropped me off at the airport on her way to work, and you know that was it. Did you get to stay for the wedding? I did. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. We, we uh, he, I think he called me on like I think we were there for the week. You know, he called me in the middle of the week, and I was like, Coach, I'm, you know. I'm all the way in Hawaii. Can I come on, you know, Monday? Yeah, so came home on Sunday and then went back out there on Monday. And now is that Was that Mike's there. wedding? Uh, no, my oldest brother, Gail. Oh, yeah. okay. So I actually met Mike, was it last year, the year before? I guess it had been two years ago now. So Yeah. That's out, crazy, we man. We were out in Arizona. It's crazy how relationships uh, can change everything, right? It's like you had one coach who knew somebody who knew somebody, and then he handed him the tape. You know, it's like that's one thing that keeps coming up in our all our interviews. Well, yeah, and you know, I, I'm a firm believer, and I truly believe that no one ever makes it alone. Everybody needs help from somebody, and you know, if I wasn't a good dude, if he didn't see me out there, dude, I was getting up before school and working out, running sprints, lifting weights, and stuff. My people see I wasn't doing it for the coaches to see. I'd already been I'd already been I'm done playing football. You know, my see my, my career is over in high school. It's like the spring and you know, so he just saw how hard I was working, how hard I practiced and like knew me personally and was able to vouch for me. But I don't think he would have done that if I was a lazy person or uh, he didn't do that for everybody, you know what I mean? Yep. So like I said, I think that everybody's, you know, no matter where you're at, like everybody's got help, you know, needs help from somebody to either put in a word or to, you know, just help them get to the next level. For sure, man. And that's, yeah, think- that's one reason, that's one reason why I love your family so much. Like it's, you can see it in all of you guys, right? Your mom, your dad, all you brothers and your sister as well. Y'all are just hard workers. And that's one thing I see about you, which I'll ask a couple of questions here in a bit. But the one thing that doesn't come out in that story is uh, you had y'all had just moved to San Antonio your senior year, right? Uh, we moved the, the summer going into my sophomore year. OK, going into your sophomore year. But you played defensive tackle, right? Yeah, you bought with three techniques. <laughs> <laughs> played defensive tackle. How much did you weigh? I think maybe 200 pounds, 195. This dude weighed, like and he, he was playing football. So, like, some people might not know, but he was playing – you were playing the high, biggest division in Texas football, yeah. right? So yeah, this, Texas this is 5A for, was the biggest. 
for people who don't know, like I played, I won three state championships in Texas, big school, 5A. He, this dude played defensive tackle <laughs> at 200 pounds in 5A football. So just to let you know, the defensive tackle that I played with on my state team weighed 310 pounds. So <laughs> this is crazy. He was all state too. And he was all state, man. A 200 pound yeah, it's awesome. You know, but, man, our, our system was built for, you know, I think our school, we really didn't have a bunch of big guys. So we had to do with what we had, you know, deal, you know, had to come up with a scheme for what we had. And, you know, a lot of th- a lot of three techniques, they want to, like, two-gap and, like, hold up linemen and so linebackers can go and make the play. But, man, they were just like, man, just go get the ball. If that's what you got to do, that's it. Every now and then we'll run a stunt or whatever, but go find the ball. And, Dude, I had like 116 tackles, 16 sacks, like 43 for loss, you know. So, yeah, your boy balled out. That's awesome. The one thing that you had uh, talked about, and, you know, Jacoby also talking about that you're a hard worker, I think that even showed up in, like, you just putting together those tapes. Like, that's just one thing that a lot of people wouldn't do. They just say, oh, I didn't get noticed, and that was it. You you, you put in the, the tapes, you didn't know what to do, but you weren't going to sit back and do nothing. And so you just yeah yeah I really didn't and uh, you know like I said like this is what I wanted to do I wasn't really just talking about it like I, I knew that I could play and I wanted to play Division One ball and, and I did everything in my power to to make that happen and but as it turns out there wasn't even anything that I did per se to get recruited it's all the stuff I did before you know like that coach. He's been he had been watching me train and working like knew me personally and just knew my character for three years and they you know so he looks at him, he's like you know this kid's not getting recruited and he should let me throw him a bone let me help him out let me see what I could do and uh, you know worked out. Well, I think it's important too. It's how you carried yourself on and off the field and not even just you know in between snaps, but at all times when you're working that that coach saw. And so I think it's important that we know, or that people know, especially like I'm thinking right now, a lot of my 14 year old son, he's in eighth grade playing middle school baseball. And I was just telling him that exactly that you've got to carry yourself on and off the field. Right. You got to have a good attitude. You got to have a great work ethic because people are watching. You don't even see people watching. Like I go, did you see the, JV coach, you know, the guy that he'll be playing for next year, the JV coach at practice, he was just watching you guys. No, I didn't see him, but he's watching. And what you're doing on the field is going to make an impression on him in the future. So it's it's not just when we typically think people are watching, but, you know, there's people that right. you want to be seeing you watching all the time. And you working out in the morning and, and working hard, you know, that's noticed. And, and guys notice that. 100%. And even if he's not there physically watching, he's going to ask that coach, mm-hmm. hey, what players you got coming up that, that, you know, that are ballers that can play, that work hard and things like that. Yeah, and I'm not saying I was a goody two-shoes. Like, you know, I, uh, I had my troubles, you know, off the field a little bit. But at the end of the day, like, you know somebody's character. Like, when somebody's 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, of course they're going to have some – you know, some slip ups and, and make mistakes and things like that. But if it's not like a habitual thing and they, like, if you're around somebody, you just know what kind of person they are, you know? So he was, uh, you know, he was able to put in the word and, 
you know, got me to where, you know, I won a championship because of that guy. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Let's fast forward a little bit here. So when you tell the story about you not getting recruited for college, I like, let's talk about how you got into the UFC, right? Because this is kind of the story that you kind of go down it seems like that's just the story you got. Like you're a hard worker, you have a plan for something that doesn't work out, but then another door is opened because of, you know, like you're saying how much of a hard worker you are. I can relate to you because I grew up wanting to play pro ball. I played in college when I got done. It's like, Oh, well, uh, apparently there, are you know, some other guys who are a little bit, you know, gifted for one in height, weight, strength, everything. And apparently like there's a lot of guys that can play in the NFL. You know what I mean? So tell us a little bit of the story from Alabama to how you got to the UFC. Like, did you want to play in the NFL? Did you have a chance? Like, what was that like? And then how'd you get to where you kind of are now? Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, people always like you gave up football or you quit football to fight in the UFC. And that couldn't be further from the truth. First of all, football quit me. If it was up to me, I would have played forever. Dude, I'd still be playing. Dude, I, I loved football at that time of my life. That was my thing. I never wanted to be a regular person. I just wanted to play football, make money, and just have a good time, you know. But uh, I, I got to camp. I went to camp with uh, with Cleveland. Got cut. Went to Canada. Got cut. And then I, I man, it was uh. Man, it hurt my soul. I was like, damn, dude, you're not even good enough to, to play in Canada? Like, Jesus Christ. And then uh, and I played a year of arena ball, and I could just, like, my whole attitude and demeanor changed. Like, I was fighting all the time, you know, just, you know, doing this, you know, kind of living lawless. And uh just found myself being frustrated all the time, just angry, walking around my fist balled up. Because I had all these thoughts that, you know, I was going to play. And I always knew there would be a possibility that I wouldn't make it in the NFL, of course. Like, everybody knows that. But, man, really just playing arena ball is just like, man, this is the bottom, you know. I just wanted to get football out of my system. But then I started noticing, like, my attitude and demeanor and, and, and stuff changing. Like, and I realized, like, this isn't even who I am. I don't even know, you know, how I became this person. And then. That ended. I played a year of that and then came back to Alabama and probably the most frustrating time of my life. You know, I would go to, to these job interviews with these CEOs of companies and stuff. And, you know, they would tell me it was like a job interview. And I thought that I was getting like the inside track because I had played football and these were all Alabama fans and whatnot. And then you know, I'd go to lunch with them and, you know, all they would do is ask me about Nick Saban, Mark Ingram, blah, 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 blah. And at the end of dinner or lunch or whatever, they'd be like, oh, we don't have any job opportunities, blah, blah, blah. And so yeah, I saw myself like going deeper and deeper down this hole uh, of just like anger, you know, just frustration. Cause, and now I started doing like, I met this lady who lived below me who said that we were cousins just because we had the same last name. And I was like, whatever. But then she gave me a job cleaning apartments because I had to do something. So I was cleaning apartments. Then after that, I was cleaning factories. And I was just doing all this like manual labor and stuff that I felt like because I had a college degree and I had just won a championship in this same town the year before. And, you know, I'm doing – like everybody, at the, when I was cleaning factories, the dude took me to the side because he knew I wasn't like the people there. He was like, listen – Half the people who work here have been strung out on crystal meth and probably 90% of that half 
know how to manufacture it. So be careful. Because, man, we were, like, playing, like using water lances, which is like a pressure washer on steroids. Like, it can cut sheet metal. Like, people would, like, <laughs> lose fingers and toes and all kinds of crazy stuff with this stuff. So he's just like, be careful. So, man, it was just – I was about to explode inside. I just felt like – I just won a championship for this school, for this city. I was living in Tuscaloosa 12 months prior to this. And here I am, you know, cleaning factories. And, you know, I thought that I'd have a suit and tie on and be working in an office or something. And, uh, so man, I just started, I was like, man, I got to blow off some steam before, you know, I get in some real trouble. So I started with jujitsu and that was fun. That was great. But I just thought the like punching and kicking stuff would just, you know, cause I was already doing that every other weekend. Like, dude, I was fighting like every weekend or like, you know, and even in the middle of the week or whatever. So I was just like, man, I just need to, you know, blow off some steam. And then I went and sparred with a guy named Walt Harris, who's a UFC heavyweight. And uh, <laughs> I met him through a mutual friend. He was like, hey, come down to the gym. I was like, cool. I walk in, and the coach, we, I don't train there no more because this is, you know, I don't think this is very responsible uh, of a coach. He was like, can you fight? And I was like, as a matter of fact, I can, you know. I thought I could fight until so he's like, okay, I don't think I had a cup. don't think I had a mouthpiece. Definitely no headgear. He handed me a pair of gloves and was like, go spar. That, go spar that guy. Go spar Walt. I was like, shit, all right. Probably four minutes and 55 seconds of a five-minute round, I was just in the corner getting pummeled. Just boom, 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 boom. I was, But I didn't know anything about it. I was like, I quickly realized, dude, you thought you could fight until you went in there and fought somebody who knew how to fight. And uh, But right then and there, I was hooked. I was like, man, I'm going to have to have to learn how to do this stuff. I think this is what I want to do. Yada, yada, yada. And, man, you know, I'd wake up in the morning, train, go work all day, come back at night, train. And I did that for about four years, fought like 24 times as an amateur. And then I met my wife. And, uh, man, she saw how hard I was working and I was going to school to be an EMT uh, so I could get on with the fire department. And she saw, you know, I'd be up from morning, like from 4.30 in the morning and not even get home until 11 o'clock at night. And she just saw the grind, how I was working. And uh, she could really tell that this is what I wanted to do. And so she's like, why don't you just quit school, quit your job, go personal train, go work at the gym, give it two years. You can always go back to work. And if it doesn't work after two years, then uh, you can just go find a job and do something anyways. And uh, damn near two years to the day after we had that conversation, I put in my two weeks the next day and then two years about two years later i uh got the call to make my my ufc debut man that's a that's an awesome story man. yeah that is uh and that's i mean the champ in that story is your wife holy cow uh, yeah, yeah. they're she gonna do like, that nah she she was like why don't you quit your job and i was like listen <laughs> i got this car i got this car payment i got this i got a kid you know I need this cash flow. And then she was just like, I mean, what's it going to take for you to, what would it take? You know, it's the way she posed the question, you know, it's like, what would it take for you to quit your job and just work at the gym? And I was like, man, I think after I pay off this car, I'll do it. And uh, she was like, how much you owe on your car? And I was like, this is what I owe. Man, she wrote the check and she told me, you know, go pay off the car. I did. And then put in my two weeks. 
And uh, so that's why I'll forever, like, she's my right. That's like a ride or die for real. We weren't even married yet. I think we were like, been probably been dating like two or three months. And, uh, you know, she rolled the dice on your boy. And, you know, she, I think she knew that it would work out though. You know, when you got a good one, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just, man, but, you know, it's also, you know, and she, she makes it easy for me to come out here in Arizona for, you know, two months at a time because she believes in the goal too. She, she believes in the dream as well. So you can see that, you know, just early on, I was like, oh, you know, she rocking with your boy for real. So that's why yeah, I put a ring on her finger. I was like, yeah, she fucked with me. It's just like anybody else though in your life that, you know, you showed the code, you had proved it that you're, we're going to, you're willing to put the work in and she saw that and that's what she was buying into. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. you know, she, she just makes it so much easier because there's a lot of guys who, you know, go elsewhere for camp, you know, to get ready for a fight. But man, it's always a hassle with their, with their significant other, man. They're, you know, they're always like bitching at them or complaining to them or, you know, yeah, they tell them they can go, but they really don't want them to go. And, you know, so they make their life hard while they're gone. And how could you possibly focus and zone in on a fight if you're arguing with your with your wife or your husband or whatever all the time? I think that's good, though, man. Like, I, I don't want to, like, destroy the mystique of your boy. But, like, when I first met you, like, I look at you and I go, man, like, you, like... I think of almost like Bam Bam, you know, like there's not much to you, but like, as you get to know who you are, man, you've got like a lot of substance back there. You know what I mean? And so I think that's what people see, like once they actually talk to you and get to know you, you know what I mean? So that, that's like, I think that's one thing that you'll get once we're talking to you, like the things that have happened to you are not by chance. You know what I'm saying? And so that's, that's the real thing that I'm really getting out of this is like, you always work and you're a person that like that you can trust and so when you have that like those things come back around to you you know what i mean even though we've had some things that can happen to us that are you know might not go our way but in the end like i think those are the way things things really go you know so yeah i think a lot of people think that about me because i don't talk much i'm kind of like quiet and i observe and uh people oh man he's weird he don't talk you know you know whatever whatever and uh but it's not really, it's just, I've always been like that. I've always like observed, okay, this is the kind of person that is. Like, I'm not one of those people who's just, like some people, when they walk into a room, they're all loud and flamboyant and, you know, never met a stranger and that's not me, you know? So people are just like, oh, you don't really talk much or interact much, but I'm just really observing and kind of learning my environment, you know what I mean? Man, I wish we could talk all day, man. I got two things that I really want to talk to you about. So one one is the real estate. I want to get into that. But the, the other thing I want to get to, a couple of things I just want to say, and you can talk on either one you want to talk on. So I think for me, whenever I look at like your career and stuff, one of the big pieces that sticks out to me is when you called out Leota Machida and actually fought him in Brazil. Like I think that was like huge for you. And then also the uh, Santos fight as well. But I, I like the, what I really wanted to get from this podcast is like your mindset on things. And so even though you lost this fight to Khalil Roundtree, like I think to me, that was like an awesome fight that you had, because if you never fought in a fight, 
and someone has punched you in the face and like what that does to you mentally, like, do I fight or do I run or what do I do? And uh, how that went, like, I by far think you're one of the toughest fighters in the UFC, right? So what I want to ask is like, what was your mindset on that? How did you come back from that? Or if you want to talk about, you know, one of the other two that I just uh, mentioned, uh, just tell it, give us a little bit about mindset and what that is when you go into a fight and, and you know, how things go. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about all three. Yeah, calling out Machida, dude, Machida was like the, I think Machida and Shogun was like the very first fight that I ever watched in the UFC. My roommate was a huge UFC fan, and he's really the one who kind of got me watching it. And I, I did, it was funny, because I was like one of those dudes, like in my head, when I was watching them fight, I was like, dude, I could whoop his ass. But not really knowing that dude, this, this dude trains, like this guy has been doing this for a long time. All these guys have, you know. Uh, I wasn't, I didn't like take to the internet and be like, I could whoop his ass or nothing like that. But in my head, I was like, dude, I bet you I could fight this dude. And, um, you know, fast, fast forward years later, I got the opportunity to fight him in Brazil. And for me, dude, I would fight in Brazil every chance. I'll fight in Brazil any chance I get because that's really like, uh, that's about as real as it gets. You know, they have the most passionate fans, I think. And dude, when you're walking to the cage, they're telling you you're going to die in Portuguese and they're super rowdy. And for me, it kind of reminded me of football, like going to LSU or whatever, you know, just uh, really, so it's like a real road game. I, I fought in Canada and, you know, they're all nice and, you know, there's really nothing like, I don't know, there's just something about being in enemy territory where everybody's rooting against you that that I like. You know, I kind of relish in that. And, uh, you know, even though I lost, I really feel like I won. You know, if you look at both of our demeanors after the fight, you know, his head is down, you know, he thinks he lost, and then they read the score, and he's like, oh, shit, I won, you know. So but, people don't know UFC, you know, I, I remember when you called out Machida, I texted Jacoby, did he just call Machida out in Brazil? Like th- that's huge. Cause you're, I mean, you went into his den to fight him and he's one of the greats and uh, that was pretty incredible. And for you to, to push it out where, you know, I think, cause I, I watched that fight where, I mean, that fight could have gone either way. And if it hadn't been in Brazil, it could have definitely been a different call. And, you know, I was 10 and 0 at the time, so my mindset was different. Like, I was like, I could smash anybody, you know, so let me go get this top 15 rank. Let me go smash Machida and, and move on and make my way up to the belt. And then uh, I think I fought once in between, and that's when I, you know, soccer kicked the dude. And then uh, they called me to fight Santos. And I was like, man, what the money look like? You know, that's really all I cared about. I was like, how much are you going to pay me to go down there and fight this? You know, big dude with a hammer tattooed on his chest. And, uh, man, they made me happy. So, you know, that that was probably, like, the most intense, I think, fight. Just because it was kind of back and forth. He was really hitting me. Like, Machida, he was just, like, love-tapping me. So, it was just, like, whatever. But Santos, we were hitting each other for real, like, hard. And uh, you know, my mindset was just go out there and, and fight. Make it a scrap, you know, brawl. You know, there's really... You know, you didn't have a camp, so if you go out there and try and be technical, you're going to get pieced up because it's not what you've been working on. I'm a fighter, you know, my fight-or-flight response, and I've always been like this. Like, there is no flight part of that flight-or-flight flight or fight response. You know, it's always been fight ever since I was a kid, and that's not like a 
you know, machismo or, you know, you know, like a persona. That's just the way I've always been. Like someone tries to scare me, like, you know, I kind of jump and throw a punch at the same time. You know, they pop out from behind the door. Uh, you might get punched, and that's just, you know, my reaction. And then Roundtree, this is probably the worst ass whooping I ever had in my life, but I think that sometimes toughness is a choice. He dropped me like four times in a round, but he didn't jump on top of me to finish me off. And so, man, the lights did go out, dude. I didn't get, like, get knocked out. I think it's called like a flash knockout. So, boom, lights go out, and then you wake up as you're hitting the ground. And, uh, oh, okay, I'm still here. Okay, the fight's still going. Word, get up. And, uh, dude, I tried to, to to finish, though. You know, I guess if you ask me my mindset, man, it's just like a natural – it's natural for me to – you know, get up and, and face your fears and, and be tough. You know, it's like a, you know, some people are born like super strong or fast or whatever. I think that that's my given talent, I guess, is, you know, being willing to, to endure pain and, you know, just kind of shake it off and, and get up and, and keep it moving as long as I'm conscious. Or, and, you know, if I can, I will. Yeah, you've That's had awesome. some some tough fights. Like that Santos fight was insane. Um, you want to, if anybody wants to check out how tough this guy is, go check that fight out because that was uh, that was incredible fight. Yeah, check any of the fights out. Yeah, it's just crazy. Let's uh, let's yeah. So let's move on here. I got so much other stuff I could ask you on that, but let's move on to some real estate stuff here, man. How'd you get into the real estate game? What uh, what brought you into that? Where are you at? What are you doing currently? And why are you doing it? So just give us a little rundown on that, and then we'll close out. Yeah, you know, that's another thing. My wife put me on game, you know. And, I, you know, when I was, like, 22, when I got done playing ball, I did this autograph signing, and this dude gave me $25,000 to sign these. You know, I sat there for eight hours and signed all these autographs. And at 22, I had a check with $25,000 in my hand before I even got to the parking lot, I was already booking a flight to Vegas looking for the next good time. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, fast forward now I'm like, you know, I'll be 30, I'm 34 today, but you know, I've been with my wife since I was like 27. And, uh, she was like, man, you can spend your money now and then you won't have any money or we can invest. And then when you're done, when you, whenever you want to be done, you can be done. You don't have to, be like a lot of these other guys who continue fighting and pass their prime or when they're not any good anymore after they lose a step. And then we can live the rest of our lives, you know, traveling and having a good time. So I was like, cool. So now I think we have 13 homes, 13 rental properties. And, uh, man, she also gave me a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And uh, man, I'm not much of a reader, but man, I read that book. Um, once I started reading, I couldn't put it down. And uh, just puts a lot of things into perspective and, you know, how to make, have your money, make money. And then all the stuff that you buy, like the vacations and stuff that we go on and, uh, you know, the things that we buy, assets pay for that. She makes, she makes a pretty good amount of money too. So all like my fight money, her money, man, we just try and go get these houses and uh, rent them out. And so we got money coming in and then, you know, even if we both stop working, money's still coming in. And uh, so we're just trying to, like, accumulate wealth like that and uh, let our money make money so that, man, whenever I want to be done, I don't think she'll ever stop because she loves teaching and, 
you know, teaching isn't getting punched in the face and taking a beating on your body and stuff. So I think she'll do that forever, and she does it online. So as long as she, we have Wi-Fi, we can be anywhere on earth. And uh, that's our thing. We really like to travel, show the kids the world and whatnot. And, uh, you know, when now whenever I'm done, whenever I don't feel like fighting anymore, I can be done. And just uh, – and even if we're not spending, like, money on, like, trips and stuff like that, save that money up, buy another house. So now, like, our assets pay for our lifestyle. And then, like, in between, like, right now, we're just stacking money, stacking bread, buy another house or – stocks or whatever so she really taught me how to be like financially responsible because i you know to be honest if i hadn't met her i still i truly believe that i'd have made it to the ufc regardless that's just how driven i was but i would be broke i wouldn't i don't think i would have any money to anything to show for it like even right now you know i that would have been you know spent all my money on the next good time and then once you're done fighting, all the good times are done. You know what I mean? So now whenever I'm done, you know, the good times can keep rolling and, you know, live my life stress-free. Yeah, that's awesome, man. It sounds like I, we need to have your wife on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> dude, I'm, dude, I'm telling you, you know, she speaks five languages. She reads. She has, she runs her own business. She is like a – she is intelligent, but, like, she – it's more than, you know – intelligent she's like a forward thinker like she sees and has the the mental maturity to be like okay and the discipline to okay not right now but if we do this now if we sacrifice a little bit now in the end we'll have 10 times as much you know so yeah she she would she would smash the the podcast and really open people's eyes awesome jerry you got anything else no, my MMI, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but I think we got a real good, real good take on this. Really appreciate you coming on. Um, where, uh, so when is your next fight? What what does that look like right now? You got something on the books yet? Yeah, I'll be fighting June 12th uh, out in Vegas. I don't know, I don't think they'll have fans there yet, but, you know, it is what it is. Yep, Sweet. and then uh, where's the best place for people to check you out? Uh, Y'all can get at me, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Eric Anders. You know, keep it simple. You know, see we have these crazy-ass screen names and whatnot, but I just keep it simple. Yeah, so it's going to be at Eric Anders, which is E-R-Y-K-A-N-D-E-R-S. So with the E-R-Y-K, that means uh, all the social media handles are available for you. That's exactly right. right. Appreciate you coming on, man. Happy birthday to you. We might have to do it again because I still have some stuff. There's some nuggets in here that I think, you know, we still could have unearthed. Uh, but, you know, so we'll, we'll uh, if you will agree to maybe come on with us again, we'll do it again for sure. Yeah, I'd really, like, time, to, I'd really like to break down the whole, like, your investment side and what that's looking like for you. Because you said some things throughout, both when you're talking football and UFC, uh, where you're looking ahead to things and – and that really would speak to our audience. So, yeah, if we could ever have you on again, that'd be great. Yeah, I'll just say when. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Jerry and Jacoby podcast. If you walked away with something of value, we hope you'll share it with a friend. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast so you get notification of all new episodes. <laughs>